Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest installment of the Ethics Podcast series. Today's topic is all about campaigns, it's ethical campaigns, a pyramid approach. We have two amazing guests with tons of experience in the field joining us today. Uh, if you all want to introduce yourselves, uh, my name is Gareth Griffin. I am chair of the APRA Ethics and Compliance Committee. And Karen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks, Gareth. This is Karen Isbell. I am the Associate Vice Chancellor and Campaign Director uh, at the University of California, Irvine. Uh, and prior to that, I was also in a sort of an advancement services campaign role at the University of Michigan. Welcome, Karen. Gail. Thanks, Gareth. Gail Ferris here. I'm Assistant Vice President for Advancement, Administration, and Compliance at the George Washington University here in the nation's capital. I've been here about three years, and my duties involve everything from gift processing to alumni records to research, relationship management, technical services, the whole kind of advancement services portfolio there. I've done that at several other universities, cut my teeth as director of alumni records at Yale back in the last millennium. And I uh, have also worked outside of the higher ed spectrum at World Wildlife Fund and the Holocaust Memorial Museum here in D.C. Awesome. Welcome, Gail. Thank you all so much for joining us today and to share your vast knowledge of expertise. And given your incredible length of service in the field and experience with all kinds of campaigns, Karen, I'll throw it to you first. What are the ethical pitfalls people should be aware of when planning a campaign? I think that some of the things we need to look out for are things that we need to look out for whether we're in a campaign or, or not, but certainly some of the, the big media uh, areas of focus would include things like uh, gift acceptance, um, counting policies, uh, issues potentially around undue influence um, in both directions, uh, is the tail wagging the dog or vice versa. Uh, and then even issues of stewardship can bring up ethical dilemmas uh, as you're as you're planning a major fundraising initiative. When you say issues of stewardship, can you give me an example? Sure. Just thinking about, you know, it's interesting as we are in campaign planning mode here at UC Irvine right now, one of the things that we're, uh, many things that we're focusing on is what is stewardship going to look like for donors to this campaign and, and how is it consistent, particularly when you're dealing potentially with a, a large uh, university with multiple areas, um, multiple schools, everyone wants to do things a little bit differently, um, and are donors being offered um, are they being offered recognition or sort of other things that might fall under the category of stewardship that um, are, are outsized in comparison to, to their gifts? Awesome. Gail, what, what are your big ethical uh, red flags to be aware of when planning a campaign? Well, I'll tell you, Gareth, one of the big things in planning a campaign, I'm thinking more of almost a gift processing side there, and I know that Karen alluded to that, in terms of acceptance policy and such. I think one of the things that we as advancement professionals have to keep in mind, whether in higher ed or not, is really how we are defining our campaigns, both in terms of time and in terms of breadth. 
And I have pulled out my trusty blue book here that those of you in higher education know from our friends at CASE, their reporting standards and management guidelines. And what's interesting is you can make a campaign as broad as you want to. But the important thing is to define what you're doing and establish rules at the outset that are going to govern how you do things and then follow those rules. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people get hung up on is, oh my goodness, we are counting in a campaign federal funds. We are counting in a campaign contracts. What Case says is you can go ahead and do that, and it's ethical to do it as long as you define it as not philanthropy. So we've got breadth there, and I think it's a question of how we define our terms and from an ethics point of view to put ourselves in a position that we can benchmark against our colleagues with what our progress is. Define that and then stick to it. Gail, you mentioned a lot with campaign counting. What are the different pitfalls with campaign counting do you see beyond like counting federal funds in the campaign or in defining things from the outset? Do you have any other tricks or pitfalls that people should be aware of in regards to campaign counting? Well, again, echoing what Karen said, there are a lot of the same standards that apply whether you're in campaign mode or not. The pressure, though, when you're dealing with these campaigns with many, many zeros in them along the way is to throw in everything you possibly can. So in kind of normal everyday mode where we might, for example, take a look at sponsored research grants fairly objectively and conservatively, suddenly things that start sort of wandering into the path of quid pro quo where your grantor is getting something in return down to where it's a pure contractual relationship. We'll find ourselves administering campaigns where we're going to get a lot of pressure to start counting those things as philanthropy where there's really no philanthropic intent from the donor. Gotcha. Karen, what are your thoughts about campaign counting? I would echo a lot of what Gail has said. I think it was interesting when I was in my previous role at Michigan and and the counting and the all of the how we processed gifts and counted gifts and uh, what got, went into our campaign totals was all under my purview there. And I remember when I first started in that role looking at the case standards, um, which, you know, is sort of our, our counting Bible and, and realizing there's just a really skinny little chapter in there on campaigns, but it really did sort of give a lot of leeway. Um, but again, I would echo what Gail said, you've got to have a policy, you've, you've got to define it up front and then stick to it. Or even if it, you know, there were things that came up along the way that we kind of went, well, it's not exactly defined in the policy, we need to make a decision, we need to know what that exception process is and who needs to weigh in on that. And once that exception is made, it needs to be noted in the policy so that you know, folks who come after don't sort of scratch their heads about how did this end up uh, being counted in the last campaign it, it, as much as you can document. I think my biggest rules um, are, the only rule I would say is that what we shouldn't be counting in a campaign is a gift that was already counted in another campaign. Um, and after that, uh, it it is very, organizations have a lot of latitude. I would say they have latitude on how to count, what to count, um, and it needs to be based on what will best help them steward their donors. So uh, I remember being in a conversation 
between two institutions, and, and even I was interviewed several years ago by someone uh, at, I think, the Chronicle of Philanthropy who kept saying, well, you know, University X doesn't count um, bequests in their campaign, or University Y, they discount bequests in their campaign, and it seems like you guys are just counting them at full face value, and I was like, yep, and that's always the way we've done it, and that's always the way we are going to do it, and I, I was unapologetic in that, and she, I think the reporter at the time wanted to make it feel like we were doing something underhand in that, but I also recounted the story then of someone who made two different estate gifts to two different institutions, one of whom said, well, that's lovely, but that doesn't count in our campaign, and, and we said, of course, of course, thank you for your gift, and we treated that person like the donor that they were, and so from my perspective, that's a 100% a stewardship issue, uh, and a so you don't ever want to be in a position of saying, well, we've created something that's so rigid that someone comes to you, makes something that is an extraordinary commitment on their part, and somehow it doesn't it doesn't fit because we feel like we've we're doing something uh, under the table. Yeah, it's funny that we're kind of going off on this stewardship approach, particularly because I think from an ethical point of view, keeping stewardship in mind is really very very important, and protecting our donors in some case protecting them from themselves. And when I say that, what I mean is often we'll get donors in campaigns. We are working so hard to woo them that we give away the kitchen sink. Now, it's oh, not yeah. an ethical <laughs> issue when, for example, you get a $1 million commitment that's going to require a $5 million commitment for the university. That's not an ethical issue. That's just an irresponsible issue. But I think when you get to some other issues where, for example, donors wish in order to make this large gift, to have a considerable amount of input and control after the fact. Mm -hmm. If we're doing good stewardship, I think we need to recognize that we have to keep donors from jeopardizing their tax deduction and their gifts as such to the university. They may have had philanthropic intent, but the IRS doesn't say that's the case if, in fact, they continue to exercise control over the money. So watching out for things like that, some of the other uh, tax implications, which have also ethical implications, of when donors have relinquished control of their gifts to donor-advised funds already. And if they continue to get some personal obligation relieved as a result of that, or begin continue to get benefits outside of that when the donor-advised fund finally makes a gift on their recommendation. So this is a perfect segue to my next question, which is a scenario question. Uh, that I've heard a lot as a part of the Ethics and Compliance Committee, and I've heard rumblings of varying degrees of the same scenario. Uh, and the scenario is leadership is feeling the pressure of a campaign goal because they set a serious stretch goal that may have been a little bit too far of a stretch, and a huge potential gift could fall in your lap. Leadership sees the gift as a miracle, but there are a lot of questionable strings attached to the gift. What do you do? Karen, I'll give that to you first. Well, that's a great, that's a great question, a great scenario, and I think we've all been in positions where we've seen the fallout of quote-unquote bad gifts that previous administrations have accepted, and maybe it's 10 or 15 years down the line, and everyone is still, uh, we, we call it here, the, the gift that keeps on taking. Keeping uh, the world Right. <laughs> Everyone's standing around going, how on earth was this ever agreed to? But because... Because we, the leadership in that prior administration was feeling the pressure of we've got to close out big, we're trying to get over the hump, our timeline is up, someone commits to something, we'll say yes uh, just so that we can cross this off uh, our list. 
um, and then it's subsequent generations of leadership that have to then figure out how do, how do we deal with that. Um, I think one of the challenges is uh, we often are not privy to those details until something has already been signed. Um, uh, it depends on you know how transparent leadership is. You know it may be a president or a chancellor having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a donor and sets a set of expectations that uh, or a dean um, or an organization president. And it's not it's oftentimes far far enough down the uh, the road that by the time it gets in the hands of of your legal team or your gift administration team, um, the the uh, the farm has already been given away. And um, but if it's a, I do believe it is our responsibility, however, to ensure as much as possible ahead of time and on a regular and continuing basis that we are informing our leadership of uh, of the information that they need to always be able to see the possible end game when they are uh, when they're talking to a prospective donor and one of these big gifts is on the line I think the trick is that we often just don't have visibility excuse me visibility into it um, until it's it's out of our hands yeah what are your thoughts I think it's really a question of perspective when we get that close to the big campaign goal and so laser focused on it we lose perspective on what the whole impact of the gift is. And I think there are a couple of tests that you can use that will, will help to clarify that. Put yourselves in the position of whatever kind of your market basket schools would be looking at your campaign. And if they were to see you taking a gift like this under the circumstances, would they be offended? And if you're in that boat looking at it from the outside and saying, oh God, help them, they shouldn't be doing that, then you shouldn't be doing it either probably. The other test that we always use in the nation's capital where journalism is big is if it appears on the front page of the Washington Post, do you have a problem? And I think this gets into the question of kind of what are the strings? We got all kinds of strings it could be. Some of the strings may simply be in the name of the donor. And I think we've mm -hmm. all seen situations like that. And you can't get so close to the gift that you've let your vision be clouded by the fact there are lots and zeros after the after the gift amount. Other things, as I mentioned before, is this is a gift that's going to cause a major investment in the institution, or worse yet, the institution moving its priorities in a direction that are not consistent with its strategic plan. These are gifts you should seriously consider walking away from because making the campaign goal is not worth what it's going to cost you in terms of the administration of these things and negative fallout. And I, I would add to that, I think that to the extent that there are, sometimes there are gifts that sort of fall into your lap or come across the transom where we might not have expected that this was the direction that the institution or the organization was going to go, but it actually is transformational enough that the institution says, yes, we, we will make that additional investment that it will take to to make this gift a reality. Um, but to Gail's point, um, and this was my sort of tail wagging the dog earlier, if it's something that is so outside of the established priorities of the campaign, which is, you know, that's the process that um, I'm at at my current organization now is really getting the institution to define what are the priorities because every dean and every unit director wants to do, you know, the sky's the limit, but we we have to pick our favorite children and we have to say that this is the strategic direction of the institution um, and and sort of stick to it to the best of our our ability. Um, 
sort of flipping the question a little bit, I've seen a, a trend lately with a bunch of universities and organizations, I mean, even ones I've been a part of, uh, have done this where they've extended the campaign, they've met the initial goal uh, and decided to extend the campaign for an additional year or for a new dollar amount. Uh, are there any things that y'all see either from a compliance perspective or an ethical perspective that there should be, um, people should think of or be aware of or uh, consider before they actually make that decision? Um, well, Gareth, I think the first thing is you need to consider whether you have at this point exhausted your major gift prospect base in order to support the revised goal. Is it wise at the outset? From an ethical point of view, I'm, I think you need to, I mean, it goes back to the old fact, you're, all, you're either in a campaign, finishing up a campaign, or planning a campaign. Right. And, if you, and if you choose to be in a different place on that spectrum than you had originally planned, guess what? You're still in the same place anyway. So if they choose to extend it, and I've worked a number of places that have done that, and not because they hadn't made the initial goal in the time period, but, before they, but because they saw more money in the pipeline and wanted to keep the momentum going. I think it's a perfectly ethical thing. I don't think it compromises donors that have gone before. I think things like campaign fatigue need seriously to be considered when you make a decision like that, but that's not an ethical issue. I would agree 100%. Not, not an ethical issue at all. Simply one of, is it the right choice for your organization and how are your, your lead volunteers and donors going to feel about that in terms of, was this a bait and switch? You told me it'd be over in five years, but look, it, now you're saying you're going to tack two more on. So. So looking into y'all's crystal balls with all of your years of experience, what do you see as the next big either compliance dilemma or ethical dilemma facing campaigns in the future? Karen, what do you think? Well, actually, I'm going to sort of tee off of something that Gail said earlier about, you know, what do we count and, and the the base of sort of what can make up a campaign, you know, those walls are, are continue to stretch, but how do we do that in a way that we're saying um, we're not counting all of this as philanthropy, but it is counting in our campaign. So when you talk about it, is the definition of a campaign going to um, be extended such that when we talk about an organization being a campaign, it's all in. So it's all types of revenue, including uh, grants and federal monies and contracts and all of that. Um, and we're saying, and, and we actually ran into this when I was at my previous institution where part of the university said, uh, or one of the schools, you know, they said, you know, we, we want to look at all of the things that are going to impact our school over the course of this campaign. And philanthropy is going to be about half of that. And the rest of that is going to be in, in sponsored grants, in federal monies, all of these things that still paint the picture of investment that is coming into the university. And so how do we talk to, about that? Because our volunteers are saying, oh, we want to look at the whole picture. What, what is the research that we're doing today doing to bring, um, to bring revenues in that are not just philanthropy, but these other types uh, of revenue streams? And I think we need to be able to start talking about how our gift officers work in that space, uh, because some of them are being asked to work across these boundaries, um, as well as then how we we count them in a way that we don't feel like we're somehow, again, similar to the, the question of earlier about how do you count bequests, that we're fudging somehow. We're just making up numbers. Uh, I think it's challenging because the numbers keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, 
when you look at you know campaigns that are are wrapping up with five, six, seven uh, billion dollars or more, um, are they just going to keep getting bigger and bigger? And if so, more is going to have to go into that pot. Karen, I think you hit the nail on the head. And one of the things when you talked about investment, because I think so much of what philanthropy is viewed as now is investment. The whole idea of venture philanthropy as such wasn't really talked about until maybe 15 or 20 years ago. Now, as we see unrestricted giving to the institution plummeting virtually everywhere, because mm -hmm. even relatively small donors are viewing their contributions as investment. They want to be involved. They view their investment as involvement in a particular function within your institution. And getting back to our question of, okay, what's in the crystal ball, that is only going to grow. And I mm -hmm. think the whole idea of making sure that that investment is consistent with the way your institution wants to go or it's deciding to go that way is going to be critical in the ethics of the campaign. But also, I think, getting back to the question we talked about before of donor involvement and leverage, what sort of governance in your institution are you giving away by accepting certain gifts, by phrasing your gift agreements and memoranda of understanding in a certain way? Is it acceptable with your university still having its independence and how it makes decisions on the one hand? And on the other hand, as you steward your donors to make sure they are not compromising themselves in any way in terms of their continuing control of the gift. So that would be the, the crystal ball issue for me is it's going to be more and more about intensive donor involvement. They don't just give money to us and say, I trust you to use it for the best thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So that was the last of my questions. Thank you all so much for participating in this podcast. This was a fantastic conversation. I know I learned a lot and got some really good perspective. And I hope that folks listening at home also learned a lot today. Uh, just as a reminder and a shameless plug, please check out APRA's website. The ethics uh, statement is available on the website as well as the ethics toolkit, which has a ton of resources, links to different policies, example policies uh, on that as well. Check out the APRA website. And again, thank you all so much for joining us today. And we look forward to seeing everyone at a later conference. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Gareth. It was our pleasure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time. <laughs>